You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. If you want my notes, you can text the word notes to the number that comes on the screen and what is in front of me will be sent to you. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, says there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before the Lord's Christ led the Spirit, went into the temple courts and where the parents brought the children into him to do for him what was customary under the law. Verse 28, Simeon took in his arms and blessing God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you dismiss your servant in peace. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Verse 32, and a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory to your people of Israel. I came to tell you this morning, when you put on the helmet of salvation, you are wearing dunamis. The title of this message this morning is Wearing Dunamis, the Helmet of Salvation. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we declare your word is true. I declare your word is true. Let every man be a liar. We declare your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Holy Spirit, we hide your word in our heart that we won't sin against you. I pray right now, ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Holy Spirit, I ask you to breathe upon your logos written word. And today I pray it's come alive. It's rhema today. Lord, we declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. We say right now, every spirit of distraction, every spirit of fear, every spirit of worldliness, you must go. I declare right now, Holy Spirit, come rule and reign. As we set our eyes on you, Jesus, Spirit of Jesus, I pray that you would speak. Well, Lord, we declare right now, we don't make room for you. We give you this entire room. Father, I thank you. Nobody came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So together we declare, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And all God's people said, amen. And amen. Well, we are on the tail end of stewarding a prophetic word over this year, over this house and your house, a word of dunamis. It would be a year to strengthen and fortify our faith. We've been dealing with the areas or the topics that we need to be firm in our faith, firm in doctrine, firm in sound theology. And at the tail end of the year, we've been going through the full armor of God. Because when you are wearing the full arm of God, you are wearing dunamis. When you are wearing the full arm of God, you are wearing the characteristics of Jesus. We've gone through almost all of them. We have a few more to go through. We find these in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the boots of peace, uh, the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. We've been addressing these all one by one. And this morning, we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. Someone say salvation. 
If you've missed any of these past messages, they're all on the Mercy Culture YouTube and podcast so that you can make sure that you are equipped with these. What I love about the full arm of God is I felt the Lord speak to me to teach on the full arm of God. At the same time, uh, he spoke to me about preaching all year long about foundations of our faith. And if you take off the armor and just look at what the armor represents, every single one of them are foundational topics to your faith. Salvation, righteousness, the word of God, truth, faith, peace. These are so important to your spiritual growth. So today we're in salvation. Someone say salvation. Like many of these, these are words that we could be familiar with, but not have a full grasp or full revelation on. So we get the word salvation from the word soteria, which means to be saving, bringing salvation, one who embodies salvation or hope of future salvation. Its etymology is connected to the word soteria, which means deliverance, safety, salvation, or it could be defined to be deliverance from the ethical molestation of the world. Salvation, if you are summarizing, it means to be saved from sin. It is a spiritual rescue from the power and the effects of sin. Romans 5, 8 says, For God proves his love for us. Why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Church, make no mistake about it. Only Jesus saves from sin. It will not be your efforts. It will not be your own righteousness. It won't be how good of a Christian you think you are. The only thing that can save you from your sin is Jesus. It's important you understand for firm foundation, understanding, sound doctrine. Good people do not go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. It is only by the grace of God, faith in Jesus, that we are saved. Hebrews 5, 9 says, being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Colossians 2, 13 says, and you were once dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, living, living evil lives. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses trespasses or sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against it with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Someone say amen. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Come on, someone put your hands together and say, thank you, Jesus. This is what the scripture teaches us of salvation. But how do you know that you are saved? Now, I don't want anyone to feel bad, but I want people to spiritually grow. And so I just want to lean in for a moment because there's a great confusion. Sometimes there's a little bit of emotional distress. Sometimes there's a spiritual immaturity and naivety. But there's, there's this thing around, I'm saved through an altar call. And I assure you, the altar call is not what saves you. And if you actually go and read every page in your Bible, there is no sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer 
is, is, is a way to help people understand the elements of salvation that is required, which is our faith in Jesus and our confession of him. And so those are important aspects, but sometimes we could, we could almost like uh, uh, to determine that, that salvation is just in this moment here. And I know I've dealt with this many times over this year speaking of this. So, but it's important that you understand it's not an altar call is what makes people saved. In fact, there's some people that come down to altar calls that may or may not be saved. And then there's other people that sit in the balcony and with all of their heart, with full authenticity and vulnerability, they cry out to a living God and they put their faith in them. And I know for a fact, with full assurance, they are saved. So hold on a second, because sometimes we've done this conditioning that people need to get resaved over and over. And it's not that you need to get resaved, it's you need a greater understanding of salvation. So I want to show you from a biblical perspective what gives you certainty that you are saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 30, Paul and Silas break out of prison through the help of the Holy Spirit, and the jailer comes to them and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul makes it clear. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. We talked about last, uh, last week when I ministered on what is, what is faith. It is belief and trust in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, that is what saves you. When you determine that he is God, he is the son of God. When you confess your sins, when you go to Jesus, that is the moment of salvation. Someone say amen. Another great scripture I want to encourage you to memorize is Romans 10, 9. And it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is where we get our salvation. I had a wonderful moment with my son this year. I've been praying. He was one of my five relationships with that prophetic word that I was highlighting. And I was asking the Lord for God encounters at, at, at his eight and nine-year-old year. And we had this wonderful moment. We were on a vacation evening, and, and he turned to me and said, Dad, how do I know I'm going to heaven? And I just felt in that moment that we were, it was, it was a spiritual moment. I just, we were about to watch a movie and just hang out, and I just felt like, whoa, 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 stop. Steward this well. And I would encourage you parents as your kids are asking questions and you're having, you know, just the, the, the busyness of life to make sure your spirit is sensitive to when your kids are asking you to spiritually lead them. And he said, Dad, how do I know I'm going to heaven? And I said, Romans 10, 9, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. I said, have you ever done that? And he said, no. And I thought, what's wrong with Heather? Surely she's to blame for this. How have you, how are you the pastor's kid? I'm joking. No, no, everyone has to go through all this on their own. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter how much you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how much you are around it. Everyone needs their own relationship and daily encounter. I've been waiting for this. And honestly, I'm so glad it happened outside of a church service. And I said, but have you done that? And he said, no. I said, do you want to do it? And he said, yes. And I knew it'd be a moment that I would remember forever. So I grabbed my phone and I hit record and I just recorded it as it was sitting next to me. Here's that recording. So say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I believe you're God. I believe you're God. I thank you for dying on the cross. 
for thy little cross. For my sins. For my sins. I ask you to save me. I ask you to save me. I love you. I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Fill me. Fill me. Teach me about Jesus. Teach me about Jesus. Give me your gifts. Give me your gifts. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. That I may know you. That I may know you. And find favor. Find favor. Jesus, mighty name. Jesus, my name. Jesus. 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 You are my Lord now. You are my Lord now. And heaven is my home. Heaven is my home. Amen. beautiful moment. So I want to address this question. I've done it before this year. I want to do it again. Can you lose your salvation? This is an age-old theological debate in church, and here's how I would like to answer that question, that you cannot lose your salvation like you misplace something in life, but you can willingly reject it. Second Peter 2.20 says this, and when the people escape the wickedness of the world by knowing the Lord, uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and when they get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would have been better that they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and to reject it. I'm going to give you another heavy scripture. Turn to your neighbor and say, brace yourself. This isn't about living your best life. First John chapter three, first John chapter three says everyone, verse four, everyone who makes a practice of sitting also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away the sin and there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps sinning. Notice that word abide is connected to dunamis. Nobody who has the dunamis power of God keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Are you reading the same Bible that I'm reading? Verse 7, it gets worse. Little children. Let me give you a translation. Hey, spiritually immature. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Whoever practices of sinning is of the devil. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning. Someone should underline that in your Bibles. Because he is born of God. Verse 10. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Pretty heavy scripture. What is this scripture saying? It is saying this. That there is no proof of a true salvation moment when you continue a life of practicing sin. It doesn't say those that sin ever because we know that we're all going to make mistakes. It's talking about those that have embraced deception, have embraced sin, and have embraced lawlessness. 
This doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. Trust me, Heather makes mistakes all the time. She has to apologize to me on a regular basis. So I'm understanding as she struggles in her walk with the Lord. What I'm talking about is a determination in your heart that I'm going to embrace this lifestyle. I'm going to embrace this practice. I know what the Bible teaches, but we're going to live together and not be married anyway. I know what the Bible teaches, but I'm going to engage in uncommitted, unbiblical, sinful sexual lifestyle. I know what the Bible teaches, but I'm going to believe a false theology embrace that I could be a gay Christian. It is one of these things where you are embracing, according to scripture, it's saying, no, 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 you're not a child of God. You're practicing sin. You're a child of the devil. Now, I, I know this is heavy, but this is why the church is so weak, is because we have fed milk for too long. And so we want to convince you that God is so nice and he's so kind, and don't worry about it. He loves you no matter what, and you're so awesome, and just live how you want. Come to God how you want, and leave God however you want. Y'all, you ain't saved. We've done a disservice. We have lowered the bar. So yes, come to God as you are. But I don't see one example of sinners in the Bible that came to Jesus, and he's like, oh yeah, just keep going sitting. No, he, he met the woman at the well. What did he say? Stop sitting or something worse is going to happen to you. You think it's bad where you're at? Woo, girl, it's going to get way worse. He said to the rich young ruler, go sell everything you had. When his pastor said, oh, no, no, just, just, just whatever, whatever you can give to it will help the ministry. That'd be great. And Jesus met him. He's like, no, nah, you struggle with greed. You love greed more than me. You love greed. You love money more than God. Go sell it all. And what did he leave? He walked away and left. I didn't read where Jesus turned around and ran after him. Well, just kidding. Actually, that, 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 I know that. Let me tell you, let me share my heart with you. No, his heart was wicked and loved money. You would need to hear this today. If you think that you could come in here, sing the songs that we worship God to, and then go out and live in lives of sin and think that is okay, I can assure you, you're not saved. You are not a child of God. According to 1 John 3, you are a child of the devil. Just wanted to just build you up and encourage you today. We just want to welcome all of the visitors. We made this whole church for you. No, no, we need you to grow. You've been in the same place and the same struggles too long. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to grow. Come on, if you're sitting next to a guy, tell him it's time to man up. Turn to someone and say, it's time to spiritually lead. Pastor, I just don't know why I'm not growing because you don't do daily encounters. I don't know why I come to Mercy Colts and I just love it and I go home and I just, I just get so depressed. I know. You've partnered with depression. You watch junk. You feed yourself full of junk. You live worldly lifestyle and then you're wondering why all the spirits of the world are welcome in your mind, heart, and life. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to grow. Turn to your other neighbor, say, or go. This church is full. You're taking up someone's seat that wants to grow. 
I love you, I'm for you, but we need the parking spots. They're messing up the lawn, parking on the lawn. We need this spot. Listen, there's plenty of other churches that just will be so thankful you came. If I'm honest, I'm not thankful you came. I'm just trying to be authentic. You know what I was praying about yesterday? Lord, would you come? Lord, would you come? Because guess what? When he comes, it's when people get saved. It's when they get delivered. It's when they get set free. It's when the joy of the Lord enters the building. It's when freedom comes in the house. Come on, we need God here. Come on, tell the person you're afraid to make eye contact with. Say, it's time to spiritually grow. Okay, quickly, there's three aspects of salvation. And this is why people keep running to the altar because they don't understand this. I preached about it before. I just want to remind you. The first one is justification. What is justification? It means that you were guilty of sin, but God says you're not guilty. He changes places with you. He trades you his righteousness for your unrighteousness. That is the first moment of salvation. It's when 33rd Company and, and, and SLS students go out and, and they minister to somebody and, and they ask them, do you want to confess your sins? Do you want to believe in Jesus? They say, yes, bam, justification. Doesn't matter where they are, what part of town they are, what nation they are, in that moment, you are justified. You are saved. But then the second is the regeneration. This is when you become a new creation. This is Heather's life verse in 2 Corinthians, is that when you become, uh, come to Christ, you are made new. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a process of old ways of thinking, old ways of living, old ways of acting, where there's this process of I'm becoming new. This is where you jump up and you still swear and cuss and let things come out of your mouth, and you're like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I'm in the process. I remember one time, I know there's a lot of uh, carnal preachers out there that think that they can curse and, and it leads people to Jesus. And I want you to know that's absolute foolish nonsense. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And when you hear foolishness like that, you know there's no fear of the Lord. So I remember one time in student ministry, there's this one guy dropping F-bombs left and right. and No one told him to stop cussing. But one day we're out to eat after you church service. And this guy was addicted to all sorts of drugs, hard drugs. And, and he got radically saved. And he would be out there smoking after church services like that was awesome. And, and one day we're out to eat after you church. And he's like, hey, I noticed I'm the only one that cusses. I was like, I noticed that too. He's like, I just don't even know why. I was like, well, let's talk to the Lord about that. And watch, it was a process. It wasn't like, hey, you can't come if you don't stop cussing. Watch, it's the regeneration process. But if you got preachers on the internet telling you that they can cuss, and the Holy Spirit told them to, yeah, show me the verse that supports that. Let me help you. It's right next to the one that tells you you can be a gay Christian. I came not to play this morning. Turn your neighbor and say, it's time to spiritually grow. If you're offended right now, it's because you're worldly. And you love the things of the world more than you love the word. Now, the third stage is what we call sanctification. 
This is what we refer to as saints. This is when you start looking like the one you behold. This is the one where all of a sudden, like Moses, being face to face with the Lord, you begin to reflect his glory. This is when the glory of God, the aspects of Christianity, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and you are living a sanctified life. So here's my question for you, church. Which stage are you in? Which aspect of salvation are you in? And in spiritual growth, you go from justification, regeneration to sanctification. Someone say amen. This morning, I want to give you three benefits of salvation. Three benefits that come. The moment you get saved, these three benefits are available to you. Number one, I love this. It's the word deliverance. Salvation brings deliverance. This is awesome. I gave you the, the, the biblical definition of salvation. It is the, the word soteria. The word soteria is connected to the word where we say sozo. You see some people name their church or talk about a sozo. It is a freedom or a deliverance. Guys, I love this. The exact word for salvation is the exact word for deliverance. Which means this, you are not saved and not delivered. This is important. Somewhere down the line, we have adopted or partnered with the foul spirit or a bad theology that Jesus would save you, but not deliver you. According to the meaning of the word, he does not save you without delivering you. You cannot separate your salvation from your deliverance. And the only thing that has to change, watch, is your faith. I don't see one example in the Bible where someone that needs deliverance doesn't get delivered and saved. Jesus didn't shut down in COVID. I don't see an example, watch, where somebody comes to him and has a need, gets delivered, and doesn't get saved. It happens simultaneously. Why? Because the same God that saves is the same God that delivers. I taught a message on deliverance is easy. It's on the, uh, on the YouTube. I would encourage you to, to go and look at this. So I want to break it down very simple for you, okay? Deliverance is a continuous thing that is found in your daily encounters. Matthew 6, 13 says, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is Jesus talking about how you pray daily. Daily, Jesus says, pray deliverance for the evil one. Every time you pray or sing, fear go, Holy Spirit come, you are praying a prayer or singing a song of deliverance. It is a continuous act. And listen, Deliverance doesn't mean when you need deliverance that something is wrong with you. It means that God's really good. Y'all, I love Deliverance Day. My kids look forward to the holidays. I look forward to Deliverance Days. What are deliverance days? Deliverance days are the days that there is something that is heavy on you, whether it be depression, oppression, a fear, an anxiety, a worry, a stress, a situation where it feels like a weight that is on you and you are powerless to do anything about it. And in one moment, Jesus comes and lifts it off you. The, weight, the yoke that was so heavy on you is so light and is so easy for him. 
Do you know every time or any time you are feeling that heaviness, you can get deliverance? So here's what I do. I go to the places that I've been delivered before and I thank him for delivering me in the past. That's why the men of this church are walking around this building thanking God. In fact, uh, last July was the last week of my sabbatical and I was out on vacation and, and I went to this certain park where God had delivered me. I mean, radically, one of the heaviest weights I've ever carried and the Lord spoke to me and delivered me. So I went to the exact same spot that he delivered me. I got down on my knees and I thanked him for delivering me and then I told him about the greatest burden and the biggest challenge I was facing. Before I was done telling the Lord what the burden and the challenge was, he was talking to me about how he was lifting it in me. I didn't even get the words out of my mouth and he was already lifting the weight off of me this is important you understand this is the Lord loves delivering his people because his purpose was to come and save them daily encounters are crucial daily encounters are where I'm delivered multiple times a year and it doesn't matter if it's in the deer stand. It doesn't matter if it's walking around the pond. It doesn't matter if it's dark outside or light outside, if it's in a closet, listen, or a motorcycle ride. It doesn't matter where you are doing your encounter. The only thing that matters is it's on a daily basis. Listen, we don't get to choose the deliverance moments, but we do get to choose the daily moments. He loves delivering us. And here's the thing, is in one moment, he will do what we can't do. Someone say amen. I want to give you a caution. This is a moment just to be spiritually aware of any deliverance ministries that make the focus on deliverance through their touch, their hand, rather than the hand or the presence of the Holy Spirit. I get asked this all the time. People are like, does Mercy Culture have a deliverance ministry? Yeah, it's called membership. Because daily encounters are where we go to get delivered. Amen? Number two, salvation brings hope. Someone say hope. Hope is an essential foundation of the Christian life. Jeremiah 29, 11, you know the scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare and not of evil to give you future and a hope. Someone say hope. Hope is one of those words that we are aware of, we're familiar with, but we don't fully understand or grasp. Sometimes it could be confused with faith. But what's the difference between faith and hope? Well, as I taught on faith a few weeks ago with the shield of faith, is that faith is uh, believing and trusting in Jesus. So what's the difference? Hope is a great spiritual expectation. I want you to put the focus on expectation. Hope is when you start to get excited. Hope is when you're excited about what God's gonna do. 
Hope is when you get excited about what God's going to say to you in your daily encounter. Hope is when you get excited about January because you know a fast is waiting for you. And inside that fast in January, he's going to reveal something supernatural to you. Hope is when you start getting excited about the future. It's when you see millions or hundreds of thousands of Palestinians or or, or Muslims in the streets of Washington, D.C. And you start getting excited because they don't even realize they're standing on the seeds of revival that have been planted in our nation. And maybe God is drawing hundreds of thousands and millions of Muslims to this place because salvation in Jesus might await them. Hope is when you see drug epidemics coming, but you know that deliverance is in Jesus. Hope is when you see how bad the world is getting, but you know you serve a risen Savior who's coming back to save and deliver. Hope is when you're excited. Has anyone ever seen Pastor Steve's Good Morning? He says, I'm fired up. I'm like, about what? About everything. Coffee, climbing stairs, whatever. Well, watch, 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 watch. Something happens when you have this intimate relationship with the Lord that you start getting excited about what? Everything. Whoa, 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 as opposed to you, Mr. Spiritual Eeyore. Some of you, we need a hammer and nail just to nail your tail back on as soon as you walk through the doors. I don't know about this job. I don't know about my kids. I don't know about my marriage. I don't know. Are you saved? No, 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 let me help you. I don't know if we're going to make it. Come down to this altar. We're going to pray for you after service. I'm dead serious. Hold on, watch. When you experience salvation, you get great spiritual expectation. Then I start getting excited. Ah. I start getting excited about what God said. I start getting excited. This is why you have to learn how to steward prophetic words. Because some of you are prophetic junkies. That you go from service to service, YouTube channel, YouTube channel, prophet to prophet, church to church, looking for your next spiritual hit. And haven't spiritually stewarded anything. You know, I go back about once a month and listen to prophetic words spoken over this house. And then I'll ask myself, how well am I stewarding them? I ask him, where can I grow in these? Have I, have I let go of the other ones yet? I remember when the Lord told me two years ago, coming off a sabbatical, he said, I'm just getting started. God said, in all of this, he's just getting started in the food bank. He's just getting started in for liberty and justice. He's just getting started in the justice reform. He's just getting started in SLS. He's just getting started in distinct. We need hope, Holy Spirit. Where we start getting excited, watch, about spiritual things. The pinnacle of your life cannot be you excited about your vacation. It cannot be you excited about your next property, your next business deal. There has to be a spiritual hope 
that you're excited about what God's going to do. I am so far behind. We got to keep going. Here's for those that aren't excited enough yet. Number three, salvation brings joy. Luke 15, 7 is the parable of the lost sheep. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I tell you this, there'll be more joy in heaven when one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous person with no need of repentance. Do you know that all of heaven rejoices when one person gets saved? Do you know that heaven rejoices every time there's a moment of salvation or a moment of deliverance? I love what David prayed in Psalms 51 where he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Church, we have to remain in a place of joy. You know what the Lord's been speaking to me a lot about lately? Is having the same amount of joy outside of church services that we do inside of church services. Where this is a place that many of you will enter in or partner with joy in worship. But do you spiritually lead men outside of this house when Danny's not leading you in a moment of joy? But you have to, what David said, strengthen myself in the Lord. I heard the Holy Spirit tell me to pray over you this morning. Psalms 37 verse 4. And it says this, learn to delight yourself in the Lord, for he will give you the desires of your heart. I feel like I'm supposed to declare it over you. I feel like I'm supposed to pray it over you. That when you learn how to delight yourself in the Lord, something changes in the atmosphere. Watch, not delight yourself in your bank account, not delight yourself in your current situation, not delight yourself at work. It says delight yourself in the Lord. Someone put your hands together and just give the Lord a hand praise in this place. Someone say salvation. The Lord gives you deliverance. He gives you hope and he gives you joy. Now, Scripture says salvation is worn like a helmet. We know that Paul is writing Ephesians 6, teaching us about the full armor of God. As I shared in week one, he's in a Roman prison, locked up, writing about the spiritual armor he's wearing while he's facing his execution. And he's borrowing this language of a helmet of salvation from the prophet Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 59, declares a helmet of salvation for the first time. This is also a pair of armor that is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. We know from biblical strategists in history that the armor was either of leather for cheap armor or for uh, uh, cheaper armies that didn't have resources. But for strong armies, the, the armor was made or the helmet was made of brass. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 17 with the Philistine warrior named Goliath. The helmets, like the breastplate, were, were anointed with oil to make them shine, to make them last longer, and to help them uh, reflect blows to the head. And here's what you need to understand. When you get in the oil or the anointing of God, it will make you shine. It will make you spiritually last longer. And it will help you from blows of the enemy, attacks or strikes from the enemy. 
Now, the helmet was one of the most important places because the head is the place where the, the person is the most easily susceptible. Or you can't survive headshots. The right blow to the head, the, the right strike to the head is what takes you out or becomes fatal. Now, I felt that this was really, really strong. I, I felt the Lord speak to me about this this week. I thought the Lord showed me a strategy of the enemy where the enemy is going after headshots of the people of God. Because if he can go after the head, watch, he kills the whole body. This week, the Lord said, that's why he attacks men so much. Because if he gets the man, he gets the family. This is why he attacks pastors so much. Because if he gets the shepherd, the sheep scatter. This is why he attacks leaders in the city and political leaders so much. Because if he gets the leaders of organizations, the leaders of cities, he gets access to the city. So the enemy is going after headshots. Now, this isn't a tangible physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. So how does the enemy go after headshots in the spirit? I'm glad you asked. Through deception. Because the helmet houses your mind. The enemy takes out the people of God through fatal blows through deception. I want to remind you about a prophetic word released last January. That no one stumbles, no one falls behind, and no one loses their faith. Church, the spiritual blows of deception are what takes people out and I want to give you a warning today please listen to what I'm about to tell you those that are do not wear the helmet of salvation they are the ones that are easily deceived watch this <clears throat> the heart is when you deceive you the mind is when demons deceive you I already taught on your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. It's your job to guard your heart from tricking you. But the enemy comes to deceive you. Enemy did this with Adam and Eve, and he does it with you. You know how I know he does it with you? Because he does it with me. I remember one time Heather and I were newly married. We are going through one of the greatest spiritual warfare seasons of our life. We're driving in a car on a car trip. She's asleep. And I heard an audible voice out loud. I thought it so loud it sounded audible. And the voice said, now's your chance to leave her before you have kids. I remember this thought entering my mind. So watch, the enemy's attacking us. The enemy's telling me to give up on ministry, that God doesn't want to use me. He doesn't have a plan and purpose on my life. This is what the enemy's telling me. This is about early days of ministry. It's about 15 years ago. That this is the, the, the barrage of thoughts that I'm constantly thinking. And what I didn't know then that I know now is that these are demonic lies of the enemy and the fastest way to get them out is to put the helmet on. But I didn't know how to do that. 
And so many of you are where I was 15 years ago and you just let the enemy literally just stomp on your head and mind with demonic thoughts. Demonic thoughts leave the church. Demonic thoughts, no one knows you. No one wants you here. You're not important. God doesn't want to use you. Your best days are behind you. You're too young. You're too old. You've been divorced. Right, what about your past? All the things you used to do. God doesn't want to use you. You're really not saved. No, 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 no. You sinned way too much. God doesn't forgive of those things. It's just this constant barrage and lie from the pit of hell to keep you in deception. So let me pastor you through this. Your mind's being attacked. Do not keep those lies to yourself. Imagine if you had a best friend and someone came and told you a flat out, you know for a fact, demonic lie to assassinate their character. Would you let your friend know? Would you expose that lie? Why don't you do that for yourself? Why don't you expose the lies the enemy is speaking over you? And here's what you need to understand. The enemy is not done lying to me. I'm just done tolerating it. Hold on a second. You don't grow out of temptation. People think that you're still bound in sin because you're tempted. No, no. Jesus was tempted and he knew no sin. Temptation's not sin. We have to grow in our response to temptation. I'll give you another example. A few years ago, uh, I was in a daily encounter. And I'm in a daily encounter and Heather and I had got into a disagreement. And, and I'm, I'm processing this disagreement as we're on this daily encounter. And all of a sudden, I have a picture in my mind of me in Washington, D.C., where there's this long line of people that want to talk to me. This happened in real life. And I remember in this moment, like, wow, all these people want to talk. This is, this is interesting. This is cool. And I see this moment in my daily, I, on my prayer run of all these people wanting to talk to me. And then I hear the vo uh, this voice going to my, my, my thoughts. Heather doesn't appreciate you like those people do. I'm running. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Enemy, are you attacking me in a daily encounter? Are you coming against my mind in a daily encounter? That's the level of desperation you found yourself at? I went straight home, pulled Heather aside. We had to get ready for get the kids out to school. I was like, no, I need to tell you something. This is what just happened. The enemy tried to use this line of people to try to come between us that you didn't appreciate me. And he's lying. And I just want to let you know I exposed the lie. I want you to bring in on what the enemy is trying to do in my mind. Guess how many times he tried that one again? Watch. Do you know how you grow in not being deceived? Is you silence him. You silence him by exposing it. You silence him by telling on it. You silence it by not allowing it. Church, this is so stinking important because here's the problem. If you do not wear the helmet of salvation, your deceived mind becomes a debased mind. And church, this is where we are in America. Where we have taken off a helmet of salvation for a sound mind. And we have put on a demonic, debased mind. Romans 1.28. 
says this, furthermore, just as they did not think worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, they gave themselves over to a depraved mind. So they did what not ought to be done. Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They were greedy. Uh, their gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invented new ways of doing evil, disobeyed their parents, they had no understanding, no fidelity, no love. Look at this, and no mercy. The debased mind is completely corrupt and invents new ways of doing evil. Church, America has a reprobate mind, and they need the helmet of salvation. Hmm. I want to give you three practical things real quick on how to guard your mind or how to actually tangibly, spiritually put on the helmet of salvation. This is something that I pray every single day. I pray with my kids. I tell the Lord, would you help me guide my mind and thoughts to wear the helmet of salvation? Because church, when you are guarding your mind and thoughts, you are fortifying your faith. I'm gonna give you three practical ways to put on the helmet of salvation. Number one, love God with your mind. Intentionally, strategically love God with your mind. There's a difference between a state of love where you love someone and the intentional acts of loving someone. So there's a difference between when I say I love my wife or when I spend time thinking about how I can love her and be a better husband to her. There is a difference between you loving God in your heart, which you just carry the love of God and you love him, and the love of God in your mind where you're intentionally thinking about how can I show God, how can I love God more? And do you know the Bible tells us to do this? Matthew 22, verse 37. This is the great commandment. Love your God, the greatest commandment, excuse me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. What does that mean? It means to love his ways, his word, and his will more than our own. It means to intentionally Love God. Number two, you let God's word or the Bible make your mind new. It is shocking to me of the ignorance and stupidity of proclaimed Christians on the internet when it comes to Israel. It's shocking. And you may be some of them where you've believed in a demonic replacement theology that Israel's cursed. And now we are Israel. You're not Israel. Silly Gentile, you're not Israel. But don't worry, God loves us too. I'm shocked. And then you give someone scripture and then they give you random opinions and quote political pundits. Who cares what you think? Can't they just share the land? No, it's God's. He gave it to them. It's theirs. They've already shared. You know when a child tells you sharing is caring, but he's trying to manipulate you to get something he wants? Listen to me. Less opinions, more scripture. Well, I really think instead of the Bible really says. 
What does the Bible says? Watch, you let the Bible renew your mind. What does this look like, pastor? Lord, what do you say over my wife? What does your word say over my children? No, this is important. This is how you renew your mind. Because when you want to strangle a teenager, because they're in the greatest state of stupidity of their life, Legion has many demons in them at the moment. Okay? Lord, what are you saying about stewarding this young man or this young woman? When you are frustrated at work, Lord, what are you saying? When you're listening to the lies of the enemy, Lord, what are you saying? Let it renew you. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the word of God renew you. Number three, this one's really important. Keep your thoughts on God. Isaiah 26, 3 says, perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Philippians 4, 8 is a fantastic scripture to memorize. There's even a prophetic encouragement to memorize scriptures. I'm going to read it to you. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, look at this, think about these things. Mark, would you come join me on the keys? Only Mark this morning. The enemy will bombard you with thoughts until you take your thoughts captive. You ever notice that you only have the ability to think about one thing at a time? Even the greatest multitaskers, you cannot think about two things at one time. Your thoughts, watch, could only be fixed on one thing at a time. So watch this. Practical advice and strategy. If your thoughts are on the things of God, the enemy doesn't have access to your mind. Have you ever played with the walkie-talkie with a kid and you were trying to talk to the kid, but the kid would not let go of the button? And no matter how many times you went over the strategy of letting go and talking and letting go and talking and communication back and forth. Watch. When you're focused on the things of God, you got the button down. And the enemy can't talk to you. When you are focusing on the things of God. Let's go back to our story in Luke chapter 2. The setup is Jesus was just born. We know two angels came. An angel came to Mary and Joseph. Told them about the immaculate conception. Mary's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She gives birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. They are coming back to Jerusalem. Bethlehem to Jer Jerusalem is a short distance away. They're coming back from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to dedicate their child. And there was a man named Simeon. And it's wild because there's just these few scriptures about him. But in these few scriptures, it tells so much about him. He was devout. He was a righteous man. And he had this crazy intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Where it says the Holy Spirit came upon him and gave him a promise 
that he would not die until he saw the Savior, till he saw the Messiah. And we know he was old in years and, and he was probably withering away, but he, he held on to this promise of God. And one day at this one divine appointment, Mary and Joseph are there. They don't know what God said to Simeon. Simeon doesn't know an angel met them, but they met together. And in this divine moment, Simeon sees a baby. But he doesn't see a baby. He sees a Messiah. Watch, and instantly he knows he's the deliverer of the world. Instantly he's full of hope and spiritual expectation that this Messiah has come. And then he has extreme joy because he knows his assignment has been fulfilled, that his eyes saw salvation. Huh. I asked the Holy Spirit to speak to me all week long about this scripture. And he just spoke to me now. put a lot of time into studying and I never saw it until this very moment. Do you know the same eyes that Simeon saw a Savior is the same eyes that you see a Savior? He just saw a baby. He didn't see him on the cross. You've never seen him. He died before we were here. With the same eyes of faith that Simeon had. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 